clock in, never clock out. No way with the slackers. No, no way with the slackers. No, 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 no way with the slackers. Clock in, never clock out. Clock in, never clock out. Clock in, never clock out. Welcome, welcome to the Path of Revelation podcast. I'm your host, Gabriel Parker. And this is where the culture meets scripture. Listen, I'm super, super excited. My album, Paradigm Shift, is available for pre-order right now. It drops Monday, August 24th. Super excited about sharing this body of work with you guys. Many of you guys have been waiting, asking when, when is it coming? Well, you can pre-order it right now. However you listen to music, Apple Music, Google Play, Spotify, Make sure you pre-order it right now. It will go live at midnight on August 24th. Super excited about that. Listen, make sure you guys go to pathofrevelationnow.com. As I always tell you guys, leave your prayer requests, any questions about uh, anything you may have heard on a, on a show. Um, hit me up. I love hearing from you guys. Um, but listen, we... This is going to be a, a great show. <laughs> Please don't be offended, though, because I want to deal with something, a topic that I believe that the church doesn't talk about enough, and that is false conversions. What do, what do I mean by false conversions? A false convert is a person who claims to be a Christian, but isn't. A person who claims to be born again, but isn't. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is because it seems like, especially in these times, that many of us who profess to be Christians and and profess the name of Christ, it seems as if our lives do not exemplify our profession that is made with our lips and what I mean by that for some of us we are more proactive and more unapologetic about our political stances than we are Christ for some of us we're more unapologetic and bold about our ethnicity and our skin color than we are Christ And it's almost as if Christ is just a checkbox. He's a part of a larger checklist and he's just a checkbox that we mark off up. I gave Jesus his time on Sunday or I gave Jesus his time during Wednesday night Bible study. And then the next minute we're promoting things and and things that are literally antichrist. We're promoting and sharing things that are antichrist. We're we don't even sound like Christians in our interactions amongst the world and not just amongst the world, but amongst each other. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to deal with the topic of false conversions is because um, we see it uh, um, consistently addressed in the scriptures. And listen, we're not and hear me good when I say this. 
I'm not suggesting that we should be going around trying to judge people's salvation. That's not what I'm suggesting. But when we look at the scriptures, we often see Jesus and many of the apostles writings. They're dealing with the subject of false conversion and genuine faith. For example, in Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the wheat and the tare. And he he gives this parable and metaphor about the wheat and tare. And he talks about how the master or the farmer plants seeds, um, wheat seeds. And overnight, as the master is asleep, the enemy comes and he plants tares amongst the wheat. And the tares are basically like a weed. And for you guys who understand a gardening or have any type of experience with gardening or taking care of your grass or lawn, you understand that the worst thing you can see in your grass or in your garden is weeds growing amongst the grass or weeds growing amongst the flowers because you know that the weeds will begin to affect the good grass. And so that's why when you're doing your lawn care, you're pulling out the weeds because you don't want the weeds to affect the grass. And so in this parable, Jesus is likening the wheat to those who are of genuine faith and the tares represents the false converts. And in the story of the wheat and the tare, Jesus begins to say and talk about how when the master begins to harvest the wheat, he begins to harvest the wheat and the tare together. And what's interesting in this parable, in this parable, he says that the wheat and the tare, they look alike and they grow together. And how it can be hard to tell the difference between the two. But once the master begins to harvest the wheat and the tare, he puts the wheat to the side, but begins to throw the tare in the fire. Because the tare isn't any good. And in this parable, the tear again represents false converts. This parable is about false conversions from from authentic conversions. Those who truly trusted Jesus and walked in godliness and those who had a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Also in Matthew chapter 13, right before that parable, Jesus gives the parable of the sower, which is what I'm going to dive in here a little later. But this is also a metaphor or parable about false converts versus what it means to truly be converted. And so we see instances throughout the scriptures where we see this is a topic that is discussed because God isn't concerned about our attendance in a building or, or our attendance in a fellowship if our hearts are never truly converted. I'm going to say that again because I think that is so important. God isn't concerned about our attendance in a building or fellowship if our hearts are never truly converted. But one of the reasons why I think that many churches 
do not deal with this topic of authentic salvation versus what it means to be a false convert is because many of our churches have gotten away from having the gospel as the central focus. And when the gospel isn't the central focus of our churches, it says a lot about what we think about people's souls. It says a lot about what we think about Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It says a lot about what we think about sin, what we believe about sin, and even what we believe about hell. Because there's a lot of Christians and even Christian leaders and pastors who don't even believe that hell is real. And that's a whole nother show. But it shows. It says a lot about our urgency or lack thereof when it comes to God's redemptive work in people's lives. And so for many of our churches, we have replaced the gospel with a more feel good, positive, motivational message where we use scriptures. We use Bible stories, but we use scriptures and Bible stories to affirm our ambitions and our desires. Even if our desires aren't rooted in humility and submission to God's plan. And so we don't talk about the reality that may be the case for some of us that is found in Matthew chapter 15, verse eight. When Jesus is speaking to, I believe, the Pharisees and he says, you honor me. They honor me with their lips. They draw nigh to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. And so we don't talk about this because I, I believe we don't talk about this because in a lot of instances, we want everyone to feel comfortable coming and supporting our church. We don't want to offend people. We, we don't want people to stop giving their tithes and, and their money. We want people to build our visions and our buildings and our kingdoms and our brands. And so we begin to treat people as clients to be earned and kept. And not souls to be discipled and won. And listen, I'm saying this because. It's something that I believe I'm observing and, 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 and I'm saying this because I have over 10 years of experience in sales and marketing while also having more years in church leadership. And I can't help but notice and see many of us have began and, and learn how to perfect our marketing and presentation and the psychology that goes behind marketing. But we have not stayed true to the scriptures in God's plan. So I want to encourage us to do what Paul encourages us to do and encourages the church of Corinth to do in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. 
test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Now, notice this, you guys notice he doesn't start off with saying examine your neighbor or examine other people to see see if they be in the faith. But he encourages us to examine ourselves. To see if we be in the faith. And why does he do this? Because. Right before this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 20 through 21, he says this to them. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish. And that you may find me. See, he doesn't just deal with them, but he says it's me too. That that I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling or fighting, jealousy, anger. Hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. These are all things that I'm noticing amongst, and this is why I'm doing this show. I'm noticing these things amongst believers on social media and how we carry ourselves before the world, our interactions with people. These are things that shouldn't be named amongst us as believers. But verse 21, he goes on to say, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. This is why he said, examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. And this is what I'm encouraging each of us to do, that we examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. I've never seen so many Christians defend witchcraft. I've never seen so many Christians put the gospel aside and and, and begin to proclaim their blackness. Contend for their blackness. And listen, I'm proud to be black, but my blackness in comparison to Christ, as Paul compares his Hebrew uh, ethnicity and heritage to his to gaining Christ, he he calls it but dung and rubbish. My blackness compared. Yes, Christ made me who I am. But when compare anything compared to Christ is rubbish to me. We see people elevating so many things and and, this, and I'm talking about Christians now so many of us who profess to be Christians we have elevated so many things above Christ and my concern is that we have lost sight of the main thing we have lost sight of the central focus of the scriptures which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that men, all men need a savior. Some of us think we know God because we have been in church our whole life. Some of us think we know God because 
our parents are pastors or our granddaddy and grandmother had a church. Some of us think that we're Christians because we sing in the choir or sing on the praise and worship team and we usher and we, we preach sometimes. Like some of us think that we're Christians because we've experienced God. We've experienced miracles in our lives. We, we've seen bodies healed. Some of us think we know God because we have had encounters in his presence. But the reality is not everyone who had an encounter with Jesus followed him. A good example is the rich young ruler. He was excited about following Jesus until Jesus told him to sacrifice his idol, which was his power and money. Jesus encountered the Pharisees all the time. They interacted with him all the time, but they didn't listen. They knew the word. They knew the sacrifices. They knew the law. But they weren't spiritual enough to understand that the law and the sacrifices were pointing to him. And so when he shows up on the scene because they're so religious, but not spiritual, they did not recognize him. And instead of embracing him, they rejected him. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. And many of us are like the Pharisees. We have a form of godliness. We've been around spirituality, but we have yet to truly be converted because our idea of salvation is based off of works, either our works or the works of people that we're connected to. And we fail to realize there hasn't been a genuine commitment in our hearts. And so I want you to ask yourself. And again, don't be offended. But I want you to ask yourself, are you good ground? As you examine yourself to see if you truly be in the faith. I want to really real quickly, I want to look at the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is found in Matthew chapter 13, is found in Matthew chapter 13. It's also found in uh, Mark 4 and Luke 8. They all give an account of the same parable. But I want to read. I want to read. Matthew's description of. The parable of the sower, and I'll reference some of the others um, as I talk about this, but I think this is so important. But which ground are you? When we look at Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start at verse 1. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. It starts off by saying, That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. 
and great crowds gathered about him so that he he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Man, he had a huge crowd. And he told them many things in parables, saying a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Now, I want you guys to understand in this parable or in this metaphor or story, the seeds represent the word of God. So I want you guys to keep this in mind as I read this. He says, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Or in other words, the seed was destroyed because it didn't have any depth. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So Jesus begins to talk with them. And I, I just want you guys to follow me. Jesus begins to talk with them and he begins to break down what the parable actually means. And he gives um, the disciples the understanding of the parable. And in verse 18, he starts off by saying, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the devil, the evil one, comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So the first ground is the path. Verse 20, the second ground. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the third ground. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the final ground as what as for what was sown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30 now listen i want to deal with each ground and again i'm asking 
you to ask yourself, what ground am I? And I want you to be honest with yourself. And the first ground we see is along the path. In Matthew's gospel, he lets us know that they, did, they didn't understand the seed, or in other words, they didn't understand the word. And the enemy came and snatched it away from their heart. In Luke's gospel, in Luke 8, he lets us know the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So they may not believe and be saved. And so I believe these people represent people who hear the gospel, but have no real desire to seek understanding. They have no real desire to seek truth or seek wisdom. Um, this is why the Bible says in all thy getting, get an understanding. Um, the Bible says when we ask of wisdom, God gives it freely. But the word is so powerful that the enemy understands if a person sits with the word long enough they're because God has given us all a measure of faith that the person will be begin to be convicted in their heart. And so the Bible lets us know when they do not understand the word, the enemy comes to take it. The, the second ground is the rocky ground. And Matthew lets us know in his gospel that this this ground, um, when the seed was planted, it had no root because the seed or the ground um, that the seed was planted in, it was planted very shallow. When the word was received with but the word was received with joy and excitement. But when tribulation or persecution came because of the word, he fell away. Luke lets us know these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing, they fall away. This is the person who gets excited about the word of God because they see miracles being done. They see they're seeing they're seeing people be filled with the spirit. They're seeing people have the joy of the Lord. They're seeing a God moving on people's behalf. They're seeing prayers answered. And so they get excited about the word. But when they begin, but the same word that they get excited about when they see the results that they want to see, it's the same word that brings results that they don't want to see. Because Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. And so when they begin to be persecuted because of this word, they're like, oh, I ain't know this was going to happen. Oh, I, I ain't about this. I don't, I don't want to deal with no persecution. I don't want to be hated for the sake of the gospel. I don't want to be hated for the sake of, uh, of, of the word of God. It's much easier for me just to fit in with the world than to have the world hate me. And so what happens, it says, and it says something very specific in, in the text. It says, because of the word, tribulation and persecution comes. And so because they had no root or their faith was shallow, 
when tribulation and persecution comes, they fall away. Let's go on to the next ground. The ground that's sown amongst thorns, which is the third ground. Matthew lets us know in his gospel that it's the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches that choke the word and proves it was unfruitful. Luke lets us know in his gospel as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. In other words, this is the person who loves the world more than they do God. They love the pleasures of this life. They love fornication. They love uh, pop culture. They love money more than God. Now, keep in mind, in all of these bad ground that I'm going over, many of many people who fall under the categories of these bad grounds, there are many people who fall under the category of bad ground who proclaim to be Christians. And this is why I'm pleading with you to examine yourself to see if you be in the faith because there may be a possibility that if you fall in the criteria criteria of one of these grounds yet you profess to be a Christian you may be a false convert and so we have to lay our egos aside this is why I've been talking about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, where Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, let her deny herself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to deny ourselves. And so now is the time. And now is not the time to examine others, but now is the time for us to examine ourselves. The Bible lets us know that the good ground produced fruit and that fruit multiplied. In Galatians chapter five, check it out in your personal time. Paul, as he's writing to the church of Galatia, he 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 talks about the fruit of the spirit. And this is the fruit that we as believers should be having evident in our life. Some of the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long suffering, kindness. And then he begins to go on to talk about the works of the flesh, things like fornication, drunkenness, maliciousness witchcraft he begins to list off all of these things and he says they that partake of these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God in 2nd Corinthians 
chapter 13, Paul tells us to test, test it. He says, test it. How do we test it? If I proclaim to be a Christian, I should not be living in the works of the flesh. I should not be engaging in witchcraft. I should not be engaging in rebellion towards the things of God. I should not be engaging in fornication. I should not be engaging in hatred and maliciousness. I should not be engaging in uncleanliness or lasciviousness, as the scripture says. If I proclaim to be a Christian, Jesus said, you will know a tree by his fruit. And so I want to encourage you guys to examine yourselves. Because we live in a time where it seems like everybody's busy pointing the finger at one another. We have become experts at breaking down other people's sin while being experts at ignoring our own. When we look at Matthew chapter 7, and I'm going to leave you with this. When Jesus starts out in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about judge not, lest ye be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will, will be measured to you. Why do you? Excuse me. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So in other words, what Jesus is saying before you judge your brother, first deal with the log in your eye. We're trying to get specks out of our brothers and our neighbors eyes when we don't realize we're walking around with logs in our own eyes. And this is one of the tricks of the enemy to get us to focus on what's wrong with everything else but ourselves. Because if we're not focusing on what's wrong with us or the inconsistencies in our lives, how can we repent? And this is why later on in this same chapter, when we go down to verse 21, Jesus starts off by saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of of lawlessness it is a shame it would be a shame for us to proclaim to be Christians our whole lives it would be a shame for us to be in church our whole lives and never truly know Jesus and have him say depart from me 
you worker of iniquity. So please, let's examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. And I truly believe as we begin to examine ourselves and repent and humble ourselves before the Lord, that when we come together, we won't fail to love each other. We won't fail to operate in love and patience towards each other. We won't fail to have patience. For when we begin to allow God to deal with us, when we submit ourselves to God and say, God is me standing in the need of prayer. God, I humble myself before you. God, forgive me for my unrighteousness. Forgive me for every sin. God, create in me a clean heart. Renew the right spirit in me. When we begin to pray the prayer of repentance, and that's as King David wrote, he says, the for the sacrifices of God are broken in a contrite heart. Man, I want to like if we're coming to God and we don't see anything wrong with ourselves, we are missing the mark. We are to we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Our minds need to be renewed daily. And so my prayer and my encouragement to you. Is for you to examine yourself. Listen, I pray that this show has challenged you and encouraged you today. Listen, I love you guys. Listen, keep in mind, again, my album drops August 24th. Listen, go to pathofrevelationnow.com. Write in your prayer requests, any questions you have. Also, check out the merch on the site. Listen, I love you guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Path of Revelation podcast. And this is where the culture meets scripture. God bless.